You're listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about the new councils and commissions. We hear a reflection on the question, what are the virtues? And we listen to a poem which Jeremy Dowsett read at the last Whitson celebration entitled Sestina During Lent. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me, as always, Father Steve. How have you been, Father? You've been traveling and going on vacation. and Well, I, I, uh, I had a great time on vacation, actually. And I don't know, did we record after I got back? I'm not sure. I'm not sure when. I think you left right after I recorded. Yeah. In any case, the vacation yeah. was wonderful. And, and this coming week, actually, we're recording on the 5th of August. I'll be in Jacksonville, Florida with uh, four other priests from Lansing, Father Mark Rutherford, who served here, Father Paul Erickson, who helped here, Father Dan Kogut, who many in the parish know, mm-hmm. and Father Dan Westerman. So the five of us are going to be helping with, uh, as chaplains on a larger-than-usual priest retreat called Holy Desire in Jacksonville this coming week. And uh, it'll be great to spend time with uh, those four priests and the 45 other priests who will be a part of the, the retreat. Is that something that the Diocese of Jacksonville is doing, or is that just where... No, this is the JP2 Healing Center. So they, okay. they didn't have a big enough retreat center in Tallahassee, which uh-huh. is where they are based. Sure. So they ended up going to Jacksonville. Oh, well, that's great news. It's yeah, they to, should come to Michigan, though. I know. Right? I mean, that's, right, this is the time of year you want to be in Michigan, <laughs> not in Florida. And we're like their biggest cheerleaders. Well, that's right. <laughs> I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to uh, see the effects of this in the other dioceses that send more than one yeah. priest. Yeah, I'm also uh, looking to, um, they've got a, a retreat that they do for marriage healing. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to to set one of those up in the in the coming months or year. Well, um, so. uh, I'd love to have that here. Okay. They just had it at Christ the King. Oh, okay. Yep, and uh, I think it's called Unveiled. And yeah. we would love to have them be in the Lansing area if uh, if they wanted to have it bigger. Maybe we could do it at St. Thomas Aquinas. Okay. Um, and. Well, there you go. We are. We just set something up right on the spot. <laughs> well, I think it's a great idea. Let's let's talk with Father Gordon about that. Okay. I, I mean, in all earnest, because uh, he's a part of our deanery. It's a bigger space. We could uh, have um, more people take advantage of it than is are able at our parish. Yeah, for sure. Well, moving on from deals made uh, during. <laughs> well, and I'll, I'll I'll close the deal with. I am, after all, the dean. The dean. <laughs> that means you could just tell everybody what well, to do, right? <laughs> this is the no. Uh, just to be clear, and I'm not even tempted to. Although uh, Father Gordon is very open to the mission, and I think would be very. Um, yeah, I think he'd be to excited that. to do that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, to the to the topic of the day, we just had um, a, a process that you all went through here in the uh, parish office of setting up some additional um, consultative bodies. Yeah, Would that be right. a good way of describing yeah. them? So, go ahead. No, it, it, you know we had uh, long had a parish pastoral council uh, and. A, parish finance council, those two councils, and a school commission that was operative. In times past, they had, I think, a, um, 
evangelization commission and maybe a worship slash liturgy commission, uh, but those were not operative for a season, and we hadn't been holding regular um, opportunities for people to apply. It was really more at uh, the request of mine or Jacob's at the school level for people to serve on the Paris Pastoral Council or the Finance Council. And so we decided to regularize the process. And so we uh, allowed people, invited people from the parish to fill out the application and just indicate why they'd want to serve on the various commissions or councils. And uh, the finance, the Paris Pastoral Council met and uh, we selected some from, by lot where we needed to eliminate um, some of the overage mm-hmm. of those who applied. I would say uh, 30 to 40 members of the parish applied and some were open to multiple uh, assignments. And um, we, by the time this is um, put up on our podcast site, uh, we will have uh, announced the members of the commission and commissions and councils and uh, grateful for the response of the people of God and, and uh, look forward in future years to other people stepping forward as well. So I thought it would be interesting if we kind of went through each, um, I'm sure those who applied had a chance to look at uh, the nature and mission of each of these councils and commissions, but maybe if people didn't apply, they might still be curious about what is the, what actually goes on in, for example, the worship commission? I mean, don't we just already have a book that tells us what to do at mass? So what what are the? Yeah, it, it will be interesting. So we'll we'll have. Uh, I'll just talk a little bit about worship slash or worship and liturgy commission. Um, this is uh, on the document. The purpose of the worship and liturgy commission is to advise and give input on the development and implementation of liturgies, worship, and formation related to liturgy and worship in order to help members of the parish and community encounter the love of God through the liturgical and worship life of the parish. So that's in a nutshell. And uh, uh, I will serve, uh, at least for now, as the chair of that commission. And um, there will be those who've been assigned and then those who were selected by lot to serve on that. So the total number on that commission, including myself, is seven. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I know we kind of got the general kind of view there, but practically what are some things that you think that this commission will be um, will be working on? Yeah, so uh, if you go to the charge statement, the service says the commission will meet three times per year, and so it's not an excessive amount mm-hmm. of time uh, with the pastor in order to plan upcoming liturgical and worship opportunities, discuss and provide input on potential extra liturgical opportunities for worship, plan for the recruitment and training of liturgical ministers, promote education and and formation opportunities related to worship and liturgical life, ensure that the parish offers initial and ongoing formation for lectors and uh, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, uh, monitor the organizational details of the parish liturgies, provide input the seasonal decorating of the worship environment and pray regularly for the effectiveness of parish worship and liturgical activities. So just it's going to act as kind of a support system for mm-hmm. what goes on yeah. in the in the church, not only... So one of the things that, that didn't come th- bubbling up through the Worship and Liturgy Commission, but somebody in the parish talked about us possibly doing a Rorate Chele Mass, and yeah. that's been uh, fruitful mm-hmm. moving forward. Other people have talked about the possibility of taking... Uh, uh, you know, kind of a pilgrimage or uh, walking prayerfully around the 
borders of our church. So that would be potentially if we did it with a blessed sacrament. That, that, I'm not proposing that, but that's mm-hmm. an idea that might come up and we'd say, all right, what would it mean if we wanted to expand our, our liturgical, our uh, uh, Eucharistic procession on Corpus Christi beyond mm. the block that yeah. we do now and what would that take and mm-hmm. those kind of logistics. So helping the, the parish pray better. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we have the Evangelization and Formation uh, Commission. What will uh, what will the that kind of consist of? Well, the purpose uh, is the purpose of the Evangelization and Discipleship Commission is to advise and give input on the development and implementation of evangelistic outreach initiatives, formation programs, and events that enhance the spiritual, social, and cultural ethos of the parish. So that's kind of the. So it's not just kind of uh, mini classes on or Bible studies. It's also going to be the cultural. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yep. Like things like Whitson and. That's right. I, I mean, one of the things that I think is important is for us to really foster that sense of communion and community mm-hmm. and uh, being able to have uh, focus um, the fellowship of Catholic university students. They've got that, and I don't think it's. Um, novel to them, the win, build, send, mm-hmm. right? So win events, which are events that, that can draw people in. Yeah, those low threshold. Low threshold, easy to, to access. But then uh, the formation courses, opportunities for Bible studies, video uh, series like we did The Chosen, mm-hmm. those would be a part of the things that they would they would talk about. And what we would love to, is to have members of that commission both come up with ideas but also scaffold and support the, the staff that we've got here at the parish. Sure. Um, so I think we've already kind of naturally just started talking about some of the practicalities of what that might look like. Um, what about, uh, we, we we kind of just in passing mentioned the, the win and the build, I think, but what about sending? Like, what? How do you think that that looks like in a parish like um, where we're sending people out to evangelize. Do you, have you had any time to think about that? Well, I, I was interested in some things that uh, Father Pong is doing at St. Mary Cathedral. He was saying that one Saturday a month, uh, groups are going out into the neighborhood to pray with people oh, wow. in yeah. neighborhood by neighborhood. And I, I would love to do something like that. One of the um, formation courses that is uh, on the the docket, we haven't, I think, set the dates yet, um, is evangelization, which would have some practical um, hints and, and suggestions for how to do that, how to know your own story and how to, the elevator speech, as it were, uh, just to be able to invite people yeah, into that. that. I, I, it's been quite a long time since I've done something like that, but it can be quite thrilling to go just knock on people's doors and say, Hey, we're from the local parish. We'd right. like to know, you know, uh, if you have any needs, if we can That's pray right. for you. Yeah, what can we um, pray for you about? And uh, and they would go two by two. It wouldn't yeah. be like we would send anybody on on his or her own. The people you meet are all fascinating. It's That's right. you, it's almost never boring, <laughs> uh, and uh, it's enriching. And and the fact is, some people, you know, just their personality makeup would would be terrified by that. But they might be willing to go along with someone who has a more uh, outgoing personality just as support support Mm -hmm. and uh, to to realize that it's doable 
and it's not boring. Yeah, it's interesting, and and, and grow more comfortable uh, to absolutely. speak up. You yeah. know, once you've yeah. got some experience. Uh, I'm just thinking about last fall when we had the big door to door campaigns for Proposition Pro- Three, yeah. um, and how many volunteers we had for that. Um, but every day we've got people who need the the love and the message of Jesus just as much as we needed the message of the pro-life. Um, so if we can organize, you know, a little bit of maybe training and, and some, um, like you said, like pairing people up two by two, um, that'd be good to see outreach. Well, like and, and one of the things that, that we have been talking about for long, and it would really fall under this Evangelization and Formation Commission, um, is figuring out how to help people discern their own gifts and their mm. giftedness and yeah. then to be able to utilize that in mm. in service. Not necessarily at mass, though some of them would do it at mass, but out in the community, in the workplace, in the neighborhoods. Sure. Uh, you know, meeting the needs of the least of these or encouraging so-and-so uh, to either come and visit or to go out and deal with those people who are struggling in various ways. Yeah. So then the next uh, commission is the school commission. The school commission, and that's been longstanding. I'm so grateful, actually, as we think about uh, the, the work of the school commission. There was a real struggle, I think, in the early 2000s, uh, question of, of whether the school would even survive. And mm-hmm. so a group of parents and members of the commission really committed and some of those are still active in the school uh, on the school commission rather than they don't they're not parents of, of current students but they're supportive of the school and the fact that the school is still here is is a great gift and it's it's doing well and um, Jacob the principal and Chris the assistant principal uh, working with those uh, that's a larger commission because they've got a lot of uh, subcommittees. Sure. So looking at strategic planning, finances, uh, all manner of formation and things like that uh, for the, the, the school. And it's, it's functioned, I think, really well. Yeah, the school's a very large operation. It so is, yeah. that's going to be by its nature a little bit more complex. Yeah. Um, so we mentioned a couple of things that the commission might do. Is there some other practicals that they, somebody that is on that commission might be? Yeah, involved? so there, there's four subcommittees. Uh, there are four domains, Catholic mission and identity, uh, governance and leadership, academic excellence, and operational vitality. These are aspects of the accreditation. Oh, okay. And so we need to make sure when we do our self-study and, and that we're moving forward so different subcommittees of the school commission take responsibility of that uh, for those areas and work with staff uh, at the school uh, to move forward on those. Okay, and the, the, um, uh, the accreditation, that comes from the diocese? So the diocese it is, does visitation? It's through Michigan Association of Non-Public Schools. Okay. So um, they have uh, an accreditation system that they use for all of the non-public schools that are part of that association okay. throughout the state. So then, like, uh, how often do we have to, to report on I think the accreditation was at one point every seven years, but I think it's now five years. Yeah, that was my guess. Yeah. I think it's five, every five. Okay. So they, they do a self-study, uh, and then a visitation team comes and then gives feedback, uh, either corroborating or questioning the findings of the self-study and then after that recommendations from the accreditation team about ways to 
uh, improve what is happening. Uh, the last time we had an accreditation visit, uh, the team was uh, very pleased and impressed with what was happening, though they had recommendations for us moving forward, and, and we were grateful for that. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, okay, um, now uh, we go to a couple of councils. Co- couple of councils. So the first council is the finance council. So the finance council, it's interesting to know, is mandated by canon law. Mm-hmm. So every parish everywhere around the world has to have a finance council, and that deals with the um, temporal goods of the parish and just the financial well-being. Uh, we meet. Um, at least quarterly to look at quarterly numbers is probably more closer to every other month we would get together and we just finished up the the final numbers for the fiscal year that concluded june 30th and they help us evaluate uh expenditures set the budget and then if there are any extraordinary expenditures like an improvement to the facade of the former church, now elementary building, we needed to get their approval and also the diocese's approval if, if the expenditure is above a certain level. And that's just for like accountability and transparency. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm guessing um, you'd probably want people with some sort of financial expertise. That's right. That yeah. And uh, we have people who are very qualified, which is, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, grateful for Don's efforts, but uh, having the finance council ask good questions of us uh, and then we respond to those questions, and and uh, uh, it's been very fruitful to to work with the council, and uh, they've been very responsive to the initiatives that we're having, but also ask good questions as we go. Yeah, great. Uh, and then the final uh, commission so it's, or it's, council, it's parish pastoral council, and we, as a diocese of Lansing, have a requirement that every parish have a parish pastoral council, but. Uh, at my former parish, uh, we didn't have one. And, <laughs> you know, it, it is, um, I think, helpful. All of these councils uh, and commissions are advisory. You made that point. The one that's got actual kind of deliberating and decision-making uh, authority is the finance council mm-hmm. with regard to expenditures. Sure. If any decisions were ever made and I'm not proposing this for our parish, about closing or merging a parish, then the parish pastoral council would have, they would be the body that would make that determination. And again, I'm not proposing that, yeah, just saying that that's what they but do. most of the other commissions and councils are saying, this is our sense about it, but recognizing that we're in a hierarchical church and mm-hmm. the pastor has the final say. Sure. Doesn't mean we don't hammer questions out and take them seriously. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've heard the buzzword going around for a while now in the church of synodality. Mm. You know, the listening to, you know, different voices to try to make better decisions. And I think this is... This is an authentic expression of synodality where people in the parish are allowed to participate um, and have a vested interest in the work of the parish, um, whether or not that be very practical like finances or mission more oriented like um, some of the first um, That's right. Of you know, and, and what we're going to do, we'll gather all of the people that have been serving and will continue to serve in those new ones just to, to do some formation and then just to create some norms. How are we going to treat each other? Mm. So you could come on to a commission or a council with an agenda yeah. that is, this is what I've got to have happen. Mm-hmm. Well, all right, that's not going to work very well. Yeah. And so we're, we're going to have to come up with norms. Uh, 
and we'll do that. We won't, they, won't be self, they won't be imposed from me or anybody else. We'll talk about how do we want to treat each other. We want to be open to ideas and questions. We also want to uh, respect the confidentiality of the space. And mm-hmm. once a decision's been made, not to go out there and badmouth whoever it yeah. was that had the, the different view. Yeah. So those kind of norms and expectations. We also required that everybody testify to the fact that they are uh, fully initiated uh, that they're if they're married they've been married in the church and so they're in good standing with the church and mm-hmm. they also hold to what the church teaches yeah yeah it reminds me um, at the diocesan offices we have a couple of of um, just organizational values where one of them is that candor is valued so if you don't agree with somebody in the middle of a meeting speak up say why um, but once a decision has been made you also need to buy in. And whether right. whether or not you had a disagreement or whatever, once the decision's made, then just buy in and move on. Like you know, now you can take it to the Lord and say, sure. "I think they're making a mistake." <laughs> yeah, but but we need to seem like mm-hmm. and to be united. Yeah. Not not sticking our head in the sand. If there's a real problem morally, I'm sure you still feel bound to push against it. Sure. At least I would. Yeah. But I don't think that's going to happen at no, the high season. A, I hope yeah. it's not going to happen here. No, it's usually like very practical decisions like what what priority should we have in our planning or something like okay, that. Right, right. Um, so if there's a... Yeah, I'm not talking about moral things no. for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think by the time that this uh, podcast comes out, everybody will who's been... That's right. Nominated. So I'll make... Uh, I'll send... Um, Invitations to all of the people that have been asked to serve, and then also we'll announce the members of the commission uh, to the entire parish. So okay. people will know. Will who that they be are. like at a Sunday mass? Uh, I'll do it by email, okay. and then yep, yep and uh, I'm sure that I'll have everything settled by the week of the 12th. So it will have already happened okay. uh, by the time you hear this podcast. All right. Well, if you didn't uh, apply for. Um, a commission this go around. Um, maybe now that you know a little bit more about it, you might be interested next time um, the nominations are being taken. And, and the there are mo- applications on, you can go to our uh, the page on the website, Commissions and Councils, and you can fill out an application. You can do that anytime. A okay. new member of the parish can do that. And we'll just keep that file sure. uh, active moving forward. I didn't mention this, but the, the parish pastoral council would have representatives from each of those other commissions. Oh, okay. So uh, the and what's, I think, helpful for us, different from some parishes, is that the, the members of the leadership team are also on the parish pastoral council. So I don't have to uh, convey all of the ideas of the parish pastoral council to the leadership team. Mm, so they're sure. all a part of those conversations as well. So the pastoral council is going to be pretty large yep. then. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, for another week, this is Rich. And Father Steve. God bless. The yardstick of how well we are getting on spiritually is not how much consolation we are receiving from our relationship with God. So how do we gauge our progress in the spiritual life? In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we explore how we can grow spiritually by exercising the virtues in our daily lives. What are the virtues? Once a person starts out on the road to holiness, they can expect to develop as a Christian and to experience more and more of God's love as they progress along the path. 
But how does someone know whether they are making any progress in the spiritual life? St. Ignatius of Loyola describes the life of prayer by telling us that we will experience either consolation or desolation. He goes on to explain how we can respond to each of these phases in a way that allows us to navigate the ups and downs of the spiritual life and helps us to progress. He would say that desolation in prayer is always ultimately from the enemy of our souls and consolation is from the Lord. So can we gauge how well we are getting on in the spiritual life by how much consolation we are experiencing in prayer? Or do we, for example, take note of how many ecstasies we are caught up in or the number of times we levitate or the number of dramatic miracles we perform or the visions that are presented to us much like the saints of old? Are these the markers of progress in the spiritual life? Well, as it turns out, the answer to that question is no. We're reminded of what St Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. The mark of our growth in the spiritual life is not to be found in whether we have that feel-good factor accompanying our prayer, or even in external signs that would seem to indicate holiness. The true sign of spiritual advancement is to be found in our growth in love. Remember when Jesus was asked by an expert in the law what the most important commandment was? Jesus' reply to that question appears in Matthew's Gospel chapter 22. He says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Often when we are pursuing a life of prayer, we can become despondent because we don't see any of the signs of growth that we might expect to see if we were on the path to holiness. Perhaps we are not experiencing as much consolation in prayer as we would like and conclude that we are making no progress. Nevertheless, when we look back on our behaviours in relating to people and how they have changed over time, we realise that somehow God has been changing us and transforming us into a different kind of person. That's one of the reasons why it is good to journal about our spiritual life. In rereading our journal entries from the past, we begin to become aware that, in often unseen ways, we are being changed. We begin to see that we find resisting temptation easier. Somehow we have gained the ability to identify the temptations of the world, the flesh and the devil, and come against them, whereas in the past we would simply have succumbed. We become cognizant of the fact that we have a newfound ability to love those round about us. We are kinder, we serve more, we have more empathy with the struggles of our neighbour. In other words, we begin to grow in the virtues, 
And that is the true sign of progress in the spiritual life. So what are the virtues that we are growing in? The seven capital virtues are the flip side of the seven deadly sins. Those sins are lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, envy, anger and pride. Consequently, the capital virtues are chastity, temperance, charity, diligence, kindness, patience and humility. You can see how these virtues allow us to love our neighbour better. When we experience God in prayer, we come to realise that we are loved. In fact, we are beloved. We come to the knowledge that we are precious to God, that he values us, wants to be with us and delights in us. That knowledge calls out of us a response of love towards God. And when we consider how much God loves us, we also begin to see ourselves in a different way. We no longer partner with the enemy to criticise and do ourselves down. We slowly begin to love ourselves because we are loved by God. And that revelation in turn opens us to the possibility of loving those whom the Lord has given us to love. Remember that second commandment that Jesus mentions in that passage from Matthew's Gospel is to love our neighbour as ourselves. So let's go back to that list of virtues and examine in what ways they allow us the possibility of developing more fully in the Christian life. Through the virtue of chastity, we no longer see our neighbour through a restricted lens of sexuality. We begin to see that each unique human being is a whole person. Temperance is an antidote to gluttony. In other words, it's the ability to rein in our passions and desires in the area of food and drink. And it provides an excellent training ground for resisting other temptations to sin. We become used to not satisfying every craving and that in turn develops in us the strength to combat the enticements of the enemy. The virtue of charity, as described by the Catechism of the Catholic Church, is the theological virtue by which we love God above all things for his own sake and our neighbour as ourselves for the love of God. A theological virtue is one that we can't simply drum up ourselves no matter how hard we try. Instead, the gift of charity or love is a free gift from God that we should nurture. Diligence allows us to resist the temptation to give up on our spiritual life. There are many temptations to drift away from our commitment to daily prayer. Through diligence, we keep on going, even when we seem to be getting nothing in prayer and even when prayer seems dry and fruitless. The virtue of kindness is a type of behaviour that is marked by acts of generosity, consideration, rendering assistance or concern for others without expecting praise or reward in return. It especially gives us the ability to anticipate someone else's needs and supply them. Patience is an antidote to anger. Allows us not to get upset or respond with anger or irritation when we seem to be losing control of our situation. Although in theory there is such a thing as righteous anger, anger very rarely brings about a solution to a problem. Patience encourages us to be long-suffering in the face of personal injury or apparent injustice. 
And lastly, humility is the virtue by which we view ourselves with sober judgment, refuse the urge to self-promotion, and resist the temptation to seek reward for our good deeds. In a sense, if we really believed the truth about God's love for us, we would find that there would be no need to seek praise and approval from our fellow human beings. God would be enough for us. As I mentioned earlier, it is a good idea to journal about experiences of the spiritual life and also what growth we see in ourselves over time. Let's pray. Lord, I know that you love me and that my life is in your hands. Help me to grow in the virtues. Help me to obey the two most important commandments of loving you and my neighbour. Give me the grace to remain steadfast in my decision to pray daily to you so that I might have the strength to progress along the path to holiness and eventually reach heaven where I will live with you forever. Amen. We finish this episode with a poem which Jeremy Dowsett read at the last Whitson celebration entitled Sestina During Lent. Sestina During Lent. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That part was bad. Jesus, not me. (laughs) Like the leaden apron in the x-ray room, this Lenten silence presses my breath out. And doubt slides in like a blade across my Adam's apple. Is this the fast that you want? The demons rushing in from every side? We both know I can hold this pose like an ash tree in winter. Eyes mandarin with pain, the only tell, indefinitely. But why? I check the date again, hoping to will the calendar into tomorrow, or bury this hunger deep enough to mute its ugly pangs. The elderberry bush outside my window mantles itself in freezing rain, presses its roots silently downward. It knows no matter what the date, that there are nutrients below the permafrost. But me, the apple of your eye, from where should I draw life? Like a mandarin plotting my ascension, I forget that every living thing was a seed it did not give itself. We fructify in spite of ourselves. The seed we bear no more our own than the seed we were. The choice to bury or to grasp is really all we have. The symbol for root in Mandarin, formed like a Greek chi over a row, also means fountainhead. Time presses on. Autophagy can only last so long. This pain is a real death. The apple wine hidden in the pantry, the milk and cheese past the expiration date. At midpoint, it becomes excruciating, my body beginning to dilapidate. This hunger has no bottom, like I was born a broken open seed made to be an empty vessel. The vacuum becomes an appellation. It almost names me. 
Is there even something buried here? Is there a pearl to find? Outside, the cutting wind presses low, a few small diagias chasubled in pink and mandarin. <clears throat> the story goes, he did not find a single fig, not one. But did man drain all the life from earth? Did we utterly exhaust the soil? The denudate hill outside the city, barren save three man-made trees. They pressed him up it, his passion flowering full, the ram in the thicket, Abraham's seed. And I am too if I let his death swallow me whole. We continue to bury our dead, to body forth our hope in abnegation. Then one day, the apple blossoms just explode, white as the garments on the resurrection angels. And now a Pentecost of robins alight upon that bush, mandarin-breasted. And my heart, too, is burning within me, not buried deep enough to mute your word, opened now, like the flesh of a date without its stone, ready for the water and the blood from your split side, the bread of a thousand wheat fields, the vintage of a thousand wine presses. Like a renaissance still life, this bowl of apples, grapes, and dates, mandarin oranges, christened in morning light, heavy laden with seed, ready to be buried, ready to multiply, ready to sing your praises. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelansing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelansing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.